Mother's Day looks a lot different this year. <sighs> Mommy needs a quarantine. And our moms may be spending a lot of time with their kids right now. A lot. Like, so, so much time. And even though they love their kids to the moon and back, Mommy, where are you going? sometimes moms need a little alone time. Mommy. You know, to recharge. Go talk to Daddy. Oh, hey! Where are you? Mommy, I'm home now. No matter what's happening in the world, their favorite way to spend time is with their family. In good times, in hard times. Mom! Hi. You're breaking everything! In uncertain times. Thank you, Mom, for making time for us every single day. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I ask that you would watch over us as we go to bed and rest, that you would speak to us in Bible stories and speak to us in... Hmm. How awesome is that? Let's give a round of applause to our moms today. We have a special gift for you after the service is over. We will leave here, and let me just kind of, uh, just a rehash. As we leave here today, it will not, when we dismiss, don't jump up and leave. Um, we'll kind of, the ushers will actually kind of, us kind of usher you out. It'll be pretty quick because we'll go all four exits. But if you, we have a Mother's Day gift on the tables in the center. So everybody goes out, wants a Mother's Day gift, go out these two doors right here. And just, just lay in there on the table and just grab it and, uh, and take it with you um, as a gift from us to you today. We would love to pass them out and that kind of thing, but uh, these are weird times. And so we're trying to be, we, you know, we, I know sometimes there are, there's two, two groups of people. And one is uh, thinks everybody's overreacting and another thinks everybody's underreacting. And then, well, I guess in, some of us are that hybrid in between or, or fluctuate from one to the other. And the reality is we are dealing with things we just don't know or understand. And it is a very humbling thing when, uh, and the reason why you have all these different information is because you're getting information from people who also don't understand or have never gone through this before. There's no little template that says, oh, during a pandemic and this type of virus, here's everything, how everything's supposed to work. Uh, so people are making stuff up as we go along. And sometimes your information is old information. And sometimes you've got new information. Everybody else has old information. And, and so we're all, uh, nobody's on the same page at any point. Maybe you're getting your information from one source and somebody's getting information from another source. And, and I think it's 
the biggest thing for us to remember, it doesn't change what we do. We are we are built for this. I mean, we were we were designed for this. When Jesus was setting up the church, he said plagues would come and and said, here's the deal. My people need to remain faithful to me and and to continue to do. That means we continue to serve. We continue to love. We continue to show patience. We continue to to help people to, to guide them through these circumstances and, and one of the things that is so imperative that we remember is that this is a, a time in which we remember that the world is looking, the world says it's looking for a vaccine for the coronavirus. But the reality is what the world needs is a cure for death because that's the problem. The problem is, is that we die and we're trying, and this has reminded people of that, but we have for 2,000 years been proclaiming a cure for death and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ and so we have good news for everybody and that is this is not just a coronavirus proof message this is a cancer proof message this is a heart disease proof message this is a you just drink cyanide proof message this is a you know bad car accident proof message this is whatever life throws at you we have good news that Jesus has conquered death and and we know the way to life and so, so as we come together, it's, it's, we're being careful to not uh, do anything, but what I would consider selfish, is by, by recklessly exposing people to something. So we're, we contacted the health department, had them come in and said, here's what we're planning to do on Sunday. And we walked through everything you experienced that we walked through with them and said, we just want to make sure the community knows, understands, we're trying our best to, to make sure this is a safe environment. And we're upholding... The same standard, if not a little bit higher than other places and so forth that have been opened up as well. And uh, and our prayer is, as we, the very beginning, somebody said this. Our hope is, when it's all said and done, we think, well, that was a lot about nothing. That's what we want to say. We'd like to say, well, we went through all this trouble and not one person in our church ever got sick. That's what we want to say. I would love to be able to have that testimony and share that. Uh, and so that's that's what we're striving for. Today would normally be a day when we would have babies here and we would be doing child dedication services and it would be, it is a, it is one of my favorite, favorite times of year. Uh, to have a baptism and also an opportunity to do child dedication is, is amazing. We will, we saved that. We thought about doing it in a way, it's kind of like communion. We, we, we're saving communion for when uh, we can do it when everybody's connected together. Um, I hope that's something legal. On the floor there, Randy, uh, whatever you're drinking there. Um, <laughs> or there's a big expose here, Randy, bringing legal substances into the worship service. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'll bring my own bottle. That's why he says this every staff meeting. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, uh, we have, we, we're saving the, when we have communion, we can all be together, close together again. We can share together. We're saving the child dedication service for when we can lay hands on children and pray for them again and nobody will freak out over that. Uh, that's that's what we're saving for. I, I, I know that day is going to come and so I'm looking forward to it. Um, and so anyway, we pray, pray to that end. But uh, today uh, the message is called Repeat After Me. And it is literally we were going to have a period of time as a children up here and the parents are up here 
there would be things that we would all be repeating as an act of commitment to raise our children in such a way. Uh, today, it just simply is a theme that I want you to realize. The, the gist of parenting, and, and Mother's Day, let me just say one thing because it's really important to understand this. This is not a happy day for everybody. For those who have lost their mothers, it can be a, a difficult day. For those who have lost children, it can be a difficult day. And there's all types of things in between uh, that could happen, create all types of difficulty. I think it's a, it's a day to remember that when we talk about celebrating Mother's Day, what we are celebrating is that God gave this intuitive nature of motherhood into the human race and, and, and blessed women with a role of nurturing and caring for children that is, uh, that is well, it's from God himself. It just it reflects his nature, and, and we are all blessed by that. It, it, it can have something to do with giving birth to children, but it doesn't have to have something to do with giving birth to children. We have our, our poster child at one of my churches where I pastored for 11 years, Well, and, and she was actually a church we were at before that, so I've been her pastor for like 16 years. A dear friend of mine, she never has given birth to a child, but she has fostered over 220 kids, which is just crazy. I'm just going to say it's just insane. But she she was known as being a, um, a person. She still she was she was a uh, we were doing our podcast and she was one of the first people to be on our Facebook live podcast and talking back and forth. Uh, but uh, we um, my kids know her, of course. She's an amazing cook. And, uh, and, and we, uh, I miss her pies probably more than anything in the world, but, uh, she, she now lives in East Tennessee, but she, she was a mother, a, a role model for what motherhood was. And again, never had any biological children of her own, but was a, what was called mom by so many, so many different people. And she fulfilled that role faithfully. And so I just, I hope that that. So when we talk about this, when we talk about Mother's Day, and we talk about celebrating moms and so forth, that encompasses the whole realm of motherhood that God has given to us and, and, and really a celebration of the women of our church and the women of the church universal uh, that God has blessed us with. And, and one of the things that, that moms do that is so hard to put into a nice tidy package is that you model what it means to be faithful day in day out now this is this is definitely not a rebuke it is just a statement of the obvious but your children are watching you and and children are watching moms everywhere they're watching what you do and they're mimicking what you do and they're saying what you say and they do what you do i i know my mom uh, was uh, I got punished many, many times for doing what my mom did, for saying what my mom said. Uh, and uh, and I, she was allowed to say it. She was allowed to do it. But I was not. And, uh, and, there, and, and I fell into this role even in parenting myself. It becomes a, a do what I say, don't do what I do. You know, and, and, and that's because we're just people. But... And sometimes we beat up on ourselves for that. But here's the thing. Our children are going to figure out at some point that we are fallen people, that we make mistakes. 
kids are going to, at some point in the growth process, they're going to realize we are not perfect. What they need to see, what they need to understand is how we deal with our own imperfection because they're not going to be perfect either. They need to see how that we deal with being not perfect and they can also deal with not being perfect. But if we raise the bar way up here and make it seem like something ever possible to achieve, well, then that just brings frustration. And, and part of what God was giving the children of Israel when he, when he gave them this is saying, here is what I need you to do in order to keep everybody focused where they need to be focused. And, and so the focus is not on look at my perfection, but let's look at God's perfection and let's learn how, how we walk in light of who he is, not in light of who we are and how we are all striving to be like him. Now, this is an Old Testament passage and, and so as we read it, we have to remember there's a New Testament revelation and that is back then they would read this and think, wow, that's, if, you're, if you read it and go, that's, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible for us to do all this all the time. We read this in light of the revelation of Jesus. And so Jesus has come and shown his grace and said, look, you were never able to do this perfectly. So I did it. I did this perfectly. And now I want you to do what I did, but in my power. And so our, our life is about, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And then our life is about trying to in the power of the Holy Spirit, now do this, what he's asked us to do. Understanding this isn't what gets us saved. This isn't what makes us righteous. This isn't what makes us holy. But, but he empowers us through his Holy Spirit so that, we can, uh, so that we can accomplish what he gives us here to accomplish. And the passage is in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And this is what Moses says in the inspiration of the Lord. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Pray with me. Father, we just pray, God, today. Thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord. We're so grateful for that. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the gift of moms, and we celebrate, Lord, your nature in women today. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that we see that you had special roles for both men and women. One is not greater than the other. Both come directly from you. But Lord, may we celebrate the distinctiveness that we have. And Lord, today, may we uphold, Lord, your name as we proclaim your word. May we learn, Lord, from what you have revealed through how you made us, through what you share in your word. And God, may we be faithful to be obedient to you in this through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're going to take what God has given to us and we're going to do something with it, first we have to learn one key word, and that is priorities. Priorities. When I do premarital counseling and marital counseling and any counseling, really, priorities is one of those important things that we say. I used to say, all right, tell me what you think the priorities of life are. And I got so tired of hearing other people's priorities, I just said, 
All right, let me tell you what the priorities are. Uh, so just we'll just cut to the chase. I, I came after where, where I was counseling with one couple, and I said, okay, tell me what your priorities are. And they were like, well, definitely the dog is number one. And I was like, okay, just stop. I can't hear. I can't listen to any more of this. God is the number one priority. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Now, here's here's why, though. It's not just because he's it's spelled out in the Bible for us, and it is. But God is a number one priority because without God, we can't live. It's like oxygen is a very important thing. You know, if if you had to choose between oxygen and chocolate, you should choose oxygen because you can live without chocolate, but you can't live without oxygen. In the same way it is between God and everything else, God is the sustainer of all life. He is He is your creator. He's He's the one who, who put everything the way it is. He's the one who gives me the life to live every day, and He's the source of eternal life. So, He has to come first. First, now... God is not your ministry. God is not church attendance. God is not reading your Bible every day. God is not anything that we do, not any religious activity. God is not even, God's not your family. God's not, God is God. And so you have to have, it's just recognizing that God has come first. And even if you don't know who God is and so forth, he is moving you to a place. But once you realize who he is, once he's revealed himself, then he has to be your first priority. Now, he puts that very high. Puts it very high. That means that if you love anything more than him, he considers that competition. And not just competition from a sense of, uh, or, he says he's a jealous God, but it's a righteous jealousy. And let me tell you why, why this is. It's because he knows if you put anything above him, it results in death. And he doesn't want you to die. And so he's saying, you must put me first because I am the source of life. And if you don't put me first, then you're going to die. This is what Adam and Eve, he told Adam and Eve this in the garden. And he's told us that for since the dawn of man, all through the prophets in the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament. And Jesus reveals the same. Yes, Jesus said himself, first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, that's, that's what he says in verse 5. He says, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And here's what we need to do. We need to show our family at every opportunity that God and his glory is absolutely our number one priority. That means whenever you get an opportunity to show that God is the most important thing in our life, then you need to take advantage of that moment and do that. Show that he's number one. And, and it, will, it comes at some of the most inconvenient times. But that's why we have to dwell in the Word and stay in the Word and have this priority mandated and, and think it through. I remember when I first started in ministry, I believed that God equaled ministry. And so if I was doing ministry, that was more important than my family, that was more important than anything else. And here's the thing. This is how the priorities go. God is my first priority. If I get married then the person I get married to becomes the next priority. And why is that? Because God says it's my next priority. That person becomes the fundamental ministry that I have. And for me, that's Kim. Kim is my next priority. 
My children will tell you as they were growing up, I would remind them over and over again, you're all expendable except your mom. And um, we were joking, mostly. And um, and so we we but we would they they had there would be no doubt. I remember when I was growing up, I uh, remember we were in a tornado. And the tornado sirens were going off, and we were we had gone to two different theaters, and we were in Owensboro, Kentucky, and there were theaters on each side of town, and we had gone to one theater, and my mother was at another theater, <laughs> and my father said, um, we're, I remember being at the theater, I don't know, I was eight, nine years old, and and the tornado, people were saying, look, you can see funnel clouds. And you could. You could see first time I'd ever seen a funnel cloud. You can see the funnel clouds. And the sirens are going off. And the heavy rain starts to fall. And he says, we've got to go get your mom. And I look at him like, what are you, stupid? We're safe here. Why would we get in a car and drive across town to get her? I don't think she really even likes us that much. I, you know, and, and I was, she didn't even come to the movie with us. She had her opportunity, Dad. She had her opportunity to be with us. She gave it up. But it's like... This is all in my head. I don't say those kind of things to my dad. So he, so he throws us in the car. And I remember dr- him driving through the driving rain to get to my mother. And it clicked in my head, if not then, many other times afterwards, that she was his chief priority. That he endangered his life and the lives of his children uh, in order to get to my mom to make sure she was okay. Now, I don't know whether it's wise or not. But it did. It left a deep mark on me. But here's the, here's the reason why this is so important. Because in that priority of my father and and making my mom the priority, we had the security of knowing my mom and dad are bonded, are bonded. And so so in that bond, we then had the they had that bond together, and then pass it on to us. That may, that meant their love for us also meant something. We saw how that was. So, when, so then we had a bond as a family. Now, from God's perspective, here's what it is. You love the person that you've made a commitment, a vow to love, and you showed that same that God made you as one. And now I want you to love your children in the same way. This is your first and foremost ministry. So for every husband and wife, for every father and mother, your foremost ministry are your children. You are to disciple your children. That's why he says in the qualifications for a pastor, you need a pastor who manages his household well, because however he manages his household is how he's going to manage the, the, the church. And that's exactly true. How I pastor my home is how I pastor the church. The two aren't different. And so uh, and that's 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 why it's so important for you to have looked into. I hope you did. Um, so if you look at my kids and go, woo, woo, uh, <laughs> rough, that's how you're going to turn out uh, as we're discipling you. So uh, the but here's the thing that that then if my wife is stable in the Lord, if my children are stable in the Lord, now I have the freedom to then do discipleship, to do ministry, to ex- to exercise a calling outside of that, and so I can if. If, and, and that's if, if my home starts to collapse, I have to give this up and I'll go back to my home and make sure my home's okay because the home's the core. And then if my relationship with God is messed up, I have to actually even go to God first and make sure I get my relationship with God straight now before I can be faithful to, to disciple my wife. So I have to be faithful to God and in my relationship with God, out of that faithfulness, I'm capable of discipling my wife and capable of discipling my children, and out of that then is born my ability to disciple others. Now, 
What about when things get broken? Well, that's the whole point of grace. The whole point of grace is, is that things are going to get broken. Children aren't going to do what they're supposed to do. They're going to be rebellious. Sometimes marriages break apart, and sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not your fault. But whatever the case, repentance is about wherever you are right now, starting today, we're going to do it this way. We're all, it's always about coming back to God and saying, okay, now, we've, everything's messed up, blown apart, but now, what do we do now? And he says, start again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do, go right back to the beginning. Get your priorities straight. And then organize things accordingly. And, and, that's, and that's part of the church coming together, navigating those waters. How do we do that? How do I do that with this situation and that situation and with these things that happened and this sin was committed and that mistake was made and this person did this to me? That's the world we live in. And God is masterful at taking brokenness and bringing healing to it and restoring and putting it back together. But it's, about, but it's always about getting back to the right priorities. And that's, again, showing our family at every opportunity that God and his glory. And that's just it. Okay, given this moment, forgetting what lies behind. Okay, whatever happened, that is done. Here we are today in this situation with these circumstances. How do we show God is glorified with what we have to do? What decisions do we need to make in order to show God glorified? Priorities. Second thing, repetition. 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 You see what I'm doing there? Yeah. Thought you pick up on it eventually. I remember I was doing a series on prayer, and I had somebody in the church come and say, Hey, when are you going to, not here, but uh, I, as they said, Hey, Pastor, when are you going to stop preaching about prayer? And I said, When you start praying? Uh, Maybe another five years. Uh, but anyway, because I, I had have people come up, and they would tell me they're not praying people. We're just not praying people, is what they would say. It's like, look, you may not be a praying person, but you're going to become a praying person if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about the importance of prayer and how to pray and so forth until you become a praying person. This is the nature of discipleship. This is the nature of everything with your children. When we go over our mission statement, one of the reasons why we do the live, learn, love, lead, and we will go over and over and put it on T-shirts and put it on banners and stuff and everything, is repetition. So you remember it. The idea is that you know that we live for Christ, that we learn his word, that we love other people as he loves us, and we lead other people to do the same. That's the, it in a nutshell. And we go over it and over and over and over and over and over it. And I'll get so sick of saying it over and over and over again. But repetition is how we remember things. Doing it over and over and over again. And friends, you may get tired of teaching your children the same lesson over and over again. But they need to hear it over and over and over again. There are certain things I've never done. And I've highlighted, we were talking about this the other day. I have never smoked. I have never drank. Now... It is not because, as a young person, I made a vow never to smoke and never to drink. But I kid you not, I bet my mom, every single day of my childhood, told me, I will die if I drink. I will die if I smoke. She may not have highlighted, my father was a smoker. And he smoked for 30-something years. And, and my mother said, it's the awfulest habit in the whole wide world. Don't you ever pick up a cigarette or you will die. Same way with drinking. If you drink... Instantly, you will die. 
This is, there was an instance. I remember my childhood. It's vividly etched in my brain. I have had a drink of alcohol of twice. One was during communion at a Baptist church. What Baptist church serves real wine in a communion? A church that I served in. So God deals with that. Uh, so it was, it was not the fact that we were drinking wine. It was the fact that the ladies the night before had a bottle of wine in a paper bag pouring it into the cups. That was the weird part. I wish that was a joke. <laughs> uh, But my father, when I was four years old, my dad was, we lived in an apartment and there was a community thing at the apartment complex and my my dad had a can of beer. Now my dad had a thing, he would go socialize with people, he didn't drink, but he would, so people would quit offering him something, he would take something and just set it by saying and never drink it. That was his thing, I don't know, Uh, I don't don't do that, Uh, but that was his thing. So he had it laying there, so I saw it. I, young child, see a can of my father's beverage sitting beside his chair. I do what every four-year-old does. I say, can I have a drink? And my father said, and he regretted these words for a very long time, sure, (laughs) thinking he'll teach me a lesson. And I chugged it. Um, I just took a big swig and then vomited for like 30 to 40 minutes and then told my mother. (laughs) The reaction of my mother to that experience, not just that day, but seemingly every day for several years thereafter, etched in my brain, alcohol is not a good thing. (laughs) I don't want to be participating in this. Now, I say that because of that repetition over and over again. When I got to high school, when I got to college, when other friends were drinking, there was not a, hmm, I wonder if I should do this. It was like, I cannot drink that. <laughs> you know, I was like, it was like I was programmed. It was etched in my head. I'd heard it so many times, a thousand times over. It's like, mm-mm, nope, can't do it. Can't touch it. Can't look at it. Can't smell it. Can't, you know, can't get close to me or whatever and whatever. They could do it all day long, and they did. Uh, and so I was around it all the time. Never did it. Why? Repetition. Repetition. Now, there were other things. If I could go back and highlight some things, I'd say, hey, Mom, you should have, should have repeated this several times too. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Whatever you choose, whatever you choose, whatever you think is important, whatever you highlight, that is what your children are going to remember. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Okay. So God's saying, my word should be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. So the repetition that God says needs to be his word. So here, parents, the reason why we emphasize reading through the Bible, reading through the Bible, reading through the Bible is because it gets in your heart and then you will repeat it over. This is what God's word says about this. This is what God's word says about this. This is what God's word says about this. And your children will hear that. They will see a couple of things. One, the value of his word and what his word says. He says, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. There always should be a connection to the word of God. This should be something we do over and over again. So here's, here's what you remember. Share the truth of his word with your family at intentional times, meaning make, make time to share it purposefully. Say, we're going to talk about God's word in this moment. Do that and in the daily flow of life. 
Because sometimes things will come up and say, you know what God's word says about this? And then share with them what God's word says about that. Like when you see a very easy one. When, when you see a rainbow in the sky, don't give them a science lesson. Give them a biblical truth. So you know what that is? That's the sign that God gave to us that he would never flood the earth again and then explain to him why he flooded the earth and why he promised he would never do it again. And if you don't know it, it's in the word. Read the story. Learn it. Commit it into your heart. Because if it's in your heart, then you'll share out of it. We, we do this all the time. Why did my mother impress those two things upon me? Because those are the two things that have impressed upon her. And she passed them on to me. And so that is what we have to do is know that whatever you have filled your heart with, that's what you're going to communicate when you get up and when you walk around. So be committing the word to yourself. And you need to know it over and over again and repeat it over and over again in order to pass it on. Now, you might say, well, I wasn't raised like that. I wasn't raised in a home like that. Well, you, you can break the cycle. You can learn it now. It's kind of like learning a foreign language. You can learn it as an adult. It's harder as an adult, but you can learn it as an adult. And, and it's by memorizing it over and over and over again. I'm finishing up a Hebrew class right now. And when I started, I would have told you there is no way I'm ever going to learn or master this language. And it's like the key is repetition. But you do it enough times, you do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, your little brain starts to remember those things. It's the way God made us. Repeat them. And finally... We have our priorities straight. We repeat the word of God over and over and over again. And then we establish what I what we know as a household of faith. A household of faith. I don't know if you remember a singer called Steve Green. Only real diehard Christian folk uh, know who Steve Green is. But he had a song that he would sing called Household of Faith. And I remember it sung in a wedding or two way back when. But that I remember... That's what Kim and I wanted to have when we got married is we wanted to have a household of faith. We wanted our children to know that we absolutely put our trust in God and we wanted them also to put our trust in God. Now, again, this is one of those things. If you're like, well, we didn't start there. You can build a household of faith today, right now. If it wasn't yesterday, it can be today. And it's just looking at every aspect of your home, every aspect of your life, and saying, do we put our trust in Christ above all else? And, and, and examining things. Does this reflect our trust in Christ? Does this reflect our trust in Christ? Does this reflect our trust in Christ? And because the word is important, we just put reminders around it. Look, in, look what he says in verse 8 and 9. He says, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead which is what they, they call them phylacteries. The Jews wear the word of God on, literally on their forehead. He said, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. That literally is what we did in this country when we first founded it. We would post the word of God on our cities because we were being obedient. And believed that the word was important. That these cities would be founded upon the word of God. 
a book that changed my life. When I very first got into ministry, it was called, it was by John Dawson. It was called Taking Our Cities for God. And he's a little bit Pentecostal, so uh, I wouldn't say it's a real Baptisty book. But just the concept, because he was talking about him, he and his family went to East L.A. And, uh, but one of the things that etched in my head and still is etched today is that the church in this country was established the cities. And now the cities are kind of going away from the church. And he's saying the church needs to go back and take the cities back. Because we're the light of the city. We should be the place that people turn to for hope and for guidance and for direction. But before we can take the city back, we have to take our homes back. Our homes have to become households of faith. I remember we were going one time, a director of missions and me were going walking through our community in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and we were walking, and we were going to just start a Bible study in our home. We were just thinking, let's find a way to get Bible studies. And so he's like, hey, I got this, this plan, this thing, initiative we're doing. We're going to start Bible studies. We're just going to walk through communities, find a house, and ask if we can start a Bible study in that house. And I remember walking through the neighborhood, and we looked like preachers or Mormons, one of the two, because we had white shirts and ties on, and two of us. So obviously, you know what that looks like. So anyway, we're walking. We didn't have bicycles, but still we're walking. As we're walking the neighborhood, I can see in the distance. I mean, it's, it's about from here past the front of the church. I can see in the distance. Look like these guys were drinking beer and they were smoking. The two things my mom said we can't do. And, uh, and so we're, they're doing these things and, uh, and laughing or whatever. And as we got closer, it was really, it was like this weird transformation took place. I'm pretty confident they were singing hymns. Or and talking about Sunday school because and that literally is what was happening. They were like, you know, talking about and they're like, hey, preachers. I was like, how do you know we're preachers? But they did. We had that preacher look. And so, uh, turns out, uh, it was kind of there was a song that came out about that same same time called "Hide the Beer, the Pastors Here," and that was what was happening. It was like it was just, if I did a slow motion, they did it really quick. They were swift. But the cans kind of went back here, and cigarettes went out and down, and were squashed out. And then, so, and then mom comes out of the house. They're all telling me how he's a Sunday school superintendent at his church, and he's a teacher, and so forth. And they all go to church, and they're all faithful, and so forth. And then mom comes out and says they're all a bunch of liars and hypocrites. So, uh, so she's like, yeah, we're going to start a Bible study here, and you're all going to come, and we're going to do this, and so forth. But anyway, that's, that's what needs to happen. So too often... Our homes are places that are not households of faith. Fill your house with reminders of God's grace and love and the truth of his word. When people come to your home, especially your children, your grandchildren, just you, when you walk through the home, you should see visible reminders of God's grace. You see visible reminders that this is a home that is where people worship the Lord. It should be obvious. It should be something that's present to remind us constantly. I remember a comedian was saying one time, why do we keep photos of our family on the desk like like we would forget that we are married or whatever, have kids, because the pictures are facing us and so forth. And he thought it was funny and so forth. You know, that you know, we would joke about things like that, but it's actually the truth. I keep pictures of my family in my office and around me 
to remind me of the people that I am faithful to and the things I'm saying, the things I'm doing, the things, the decisions I'm making affect them, affect them. Our homes should be the same way, households of faith. This morning, we need to surrender our homes to Jesus. We need to surrender our homes to Jesus. It doesn't, again, it doesn't matter what you were doing. It's what you can do now. I mean, if you want to make the argument that Jesus doesn't want you to surrender your home, you can make that argument. It's just not a good one. He, he's saying, I want you to prioritize me in your life. I want you to repeat my word over and over again. I want you to transform your home into a household of faith because this is what brings life. This is the cure. This is the solution that you are looking to. In the story of the prodigal son, when the son leaves home and he goes off in the far land and so forth and takes his father's money and squanders and so forth and he's sitting there in the pig pen and he comes to his senses and he thinks, I need to go back to my father's home because there, truth abounds. There, grace abounds. There, faith abounds. He has a place to go back to because he knows his father's house is a household of faith. And even if your children or your friends or whatever, they reject, say, I don't believe all that stuff or I don't want any part of that or whatever, by you preserving that, you always have a place for people to come to come back to when they do decide they want to follow Christ when they do decide to turn their life around they know they can come back there and they will find faith and that, that's an amazing thing and, and don't ever get caught up in that your neighbors don't come to church or there were people I invited and they didn't show up today by us maintaining consistency we, we, do, we can never say we're not going to teach the truth here we're going to water down the message or we're going to lessen the gospel in order to get more people to come in we have to maintain that standard of, of biblical honesty and purity and, and holding to the authority of God's word because when people need that, they need to be able to find it here. They need to know that they can come here and get it. And that's what your home can become. Your home can become that place. Now, maybe you're saying, well, if I did that, everybody would be freaked out or think we're crazy or whatever. Well, freak them out. Let them think you're crazy. Because here's the time. You have an opportunity. Are you mimicking me? <laughs> That's why we put you in children's church. She literally got the point of the message. <laughs> she is repeating everything I do and imitating me. What a great visible example. Thank you, Nori. appreciate that. Today as we close and you surrender your home, I, I'm not going to ask people to come to the altar because of the circumstances in the world we have. But I am going to stay up here. We also had agreed we're not going to prevent you from coming to the altar. <laughs> if you come, nobody's going to assault you. I love what our governor said. I, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know if you keep watch the news and see the difference between Kentucky's governor and Missouri's governor. I'm actually very grateful to be in this state right now. This is what our governor said. He said, don't shake hands. 
or we're going to ask that you don't shake hands. He said, but if you do shake hands, he goes, I'm going to tell you this. We're not coming to your church. We're going to write you a ticket for shaking hands. He goes, we're not going to police the situation. We're just advising you it's not the best thing to shake hands. He said, but you all go to your houses of worship, and you do what the Lord leads you to do. And I appreciated that so much because he understands what a great liberty we have here to be here in worship, to be able to share in this moment and so forth. So I'm not, there's nothing restrictive about what we're saying right here. Obviously, you're invited to come. You can come and pray up here if you want to. You can pray right where you are. The key is, is that we have this moment with God and we surrender ourselves to him. As Daniel leads us in a song. This is our opportunity to get our hearts right with him. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great you are. Lord, call out your people. Lord, work in our hearts. Show us our need to get our priorities straight. Father, learn your word. Commit it into our hearts so that we can repeat it to our children and help them to understand your truth. And Father, help us to build households of faith. Lord, whatever home we have, may it be surrendered to you and for your glory. And if there are people here who have never surrendered their life to you ever, may today be the day they say, I know, I realize I need to give my heart to Jesus so that I might have eternal life. So that I don't have to fear death anymore. I want the cure to death and you are it. Lord, I pray today they will surrender their life to you and commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.